And just that small shift of not even saying, I'm going to, but having the mindset saying, I can, and opening my mind and my heart to those possibilities seemed very small at the time. But man, have over the last five years have just led to significant change. I'm Brian Kramer. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is making smaller shifts. It's the small shifts in our lives that can create epic outcomes. Your journey to be more deeply connected into the life you truly deserve starts right now. Welcome to Humanly Possible, a podcast focused on small shifts that can make epic differences in our lives and at work. I'd love to introduce our guest, who is someone I absolutely love and am honored to have on the show. He's not just a not just a dear friend, but he also has gone through some incredible things in his life that I can't wait to share with you. His name is Carlos Hidalgo. He is a life design coach, a two-time author, a TEDx speaker, an international keynote speaker, and a uh, well, a marketer. I don't know if we can even say a marketer in in, uh, in 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 his past life or his current life, but we'll get to that. He's over the span of 25 years. Um, he's held corporate roles. He started his own entrepreneurial ventures and served in nonprofits. And he's now dedicated to helping others design a life they love to live every day through his coaching. So, welcome, Carlos. Brian, thanks for having me. And sentiments the same. I love you, man. And absolutely honored to be on the podcast. Yeah. Well, it's great to have you here. And I'm going to dive right in. I love getting right to it. So I'm going to ask you, what's one thing that felt small at the time, but ended up being a big shift for you? You know, as as you know, my story, I've told you before, I think everything was such a, a big kaboom in my life. Sometimes that's how it felt. But I think the one thing that I can point to is the shift in my mindset is that I did not have to continue just opening my mind to the idea that I did not have to continue to live the life that I was living, that I didn't have to follow the path that people said I had to follow, that I could leave the first agency that I had started and ran for 12 years. And just that small shift of not even saying I'm going to, but having the mindset saying I can and opening my mind and my heart to those possibilities seemed very small at the time. But man, have over the last five years have just led to significant change. So um, the agency, uh, let's start there. Um, that, that was a big, uh, so a small shift, but a big shift for you. Um, what, what went into that? I mean, you were, it was a, tell us about the agency. What was, what was that like? And how did you get into the agency life? And you and I are both, uh, kind of what, not kind of, we are marketers, um, and, and, and crossed into now coaching. So it's kind of an, an interesting mix for the two of us to be sitting here talking about, which I, I don't often get to do. So I'd love to dive into that transition for you and start back at that time. So tell me about that. Uh, get us going there. Well, the reality is I fell into marketing by accident. I never wanted to be a marketer. Uh, If you had asked me, and even now still, uh, law enforcement was where I wanted to be. I took the test for the FBI multiple times. 
And uh, when they found out that Carlos Hidalgo doesn't speak Spanish, that was all she wrote. Thanks for playing. And that was it. So I just ended up going after you know marketing jobs. That's what I knew. That's kind of what I did right out of college in a nonprofit. Unbeknownst to me at the time, it was a great training ground for content marketing and understanding how to write a story and how to connect with people. And job after job just seemed to be in marketing. And then in 2005, I co-founded an agency, a demand generation and lead management, more consultancy. And I did that because at that point, I was working for a software company. I was traveling well over a quarter million miles a year. My four children at that point were so little, I was missing out on their childhood. Uh, Suzanne and I were really at a point where it was more about logistics than a relationship because I would literally, and I know you know this, you'd come home, wash your clothes, pack your suitcase and be gone the next day. And so I I got out of that so I could connect, be more part of my family and, and reconnect. Um, the reality is, is that the agency took over and, and then some. It, it was kind of my... Uh, my identity, my worthiness, my ego, all wrapped into what I was doing for a profession. And I started repeating all the mistakes of the past and then some, made some horrible personal choices, put the business first in every way, shape, and form. And it cost me dearly. And in 2015, at all, the bottom just dropped out. I was burned out. Uh, I was mentally burned out, spiritually, emotionally burned out. And uh, it it really led to some deep, what I call the dark night of the soul for me of really doing some deep search, soul searching and saying, what do I want? What can I do? And in 2016, it took me 10 months to make that bold move to say, I'm leaving. But when I did, it was like I pulled the plug. I called my partners one morning. I remember exactly where I was called Suzanne first, said, this is what I'm doing. And her response was, I was hoping you'd get there, but you needed to make that decision on your own. Had no idea what I was going to do next. Had no big buyout, no big savings to fall back on. Two kids in college, two more on the way, but it was the best decision I ever made. What made um, you feel like there was a platform to land on on the other side? I didn't know there was one. I knew I needed to get my life back. And I'm not a big believer. I'm not a big sign guy. You know, people are always saying, I'm looking for a sign. And like I said, I wrestled for for 10 months. And if I'm honest, some of that was my ego. Like, what are people going to say if I leave the agency that I started? And what are people going to say? I, I wrote a really, uh, you know, well-known book at the time on marketing. And now, you know, I, I called out and I used the models our team used. So what are people going to say about that? So I didn't know there was a platform, but when I when I talked about a sign, I remember I was on a red eye from LA to Boston to go to another event where I should have probably been home. And I couldn't sleep, which is really rare for me. I can sleep anywhere. And I just almost out loud, and I probably would have said it out loud if it didn't freak out the person next to me, but I just said, God, I need something. I need you to tell me something. Give me a sign. I, I got to figure out what I can do here because I'm miserable. And you know, the reality is the universe had been directing me this this way, but sometimes I'm kind of slow. So I walked into the lobby and my, uh, my friend and colleague, Andrew Davis, who I'm sure you know, 
was in the lobby at 5 a.m. working on his presentation. We, I walked over and I said, hey, man, how you doing? And he got up, gave me a hug. And then he just looked at me and said, you look tired. And I said, no. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm tired only because of the red eye. He said, no, it's more than that. And uh, he was bold. And he, I told him what was going on. I said, I'm wrestling with leaving. And he said, man, you know what you need to do. You need the courage to do it. Pull the ripcord. And I started with all the excuses of kids in college and this. And, and he put up his hand in just such an awesome, loving way. And he said, dude, you know what you need to do. Promise me today you will make one step. Just take one step to pull in the ripcord. And so I called Suzanne and told her what I was going to do. And then an hour later, I started making the rounds and calling the partner. So I had no idea. That's a very long answer to your very short question, but I had no platform of what was next. I had no idea, but I knew if I didn't put it all behind me, I couldn't truly get my life back and take charge of who I wanted to be. What were you taking charge and getting your life back from? What was the thing that um, really... Uh, you know, and I want to, I want to dive deeper into what's, what's coming and where that went, but what was the thing that put you there? Uh, a false belief at who I was. And I adopted an identity at a very young age after an encounter I had with my dad, that the story of my life was, I can't. And when you're a kid, you don't, you're not sitting there going, oh, wow, that just really wounded me. And I am just now going to be a slave to shame. But there was, there was that encounter and then some other encounters where I just literally, my entire MO was, you all can shove it. I'm going to show you that you're wrong. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be better at you than business. I'm going to be better at you in these things. And, and it was... It just was a shell of myself. And then I started to buy into uh, the, this identity that I was some big shot, badass CEO of an up-and-coming agency. My book did very well, was an Amazon new release, number one new release. And all these things feeding this ego that, you know, it, it just wasn't who, my, who I am. And it doesn't mean I'm, I'm bad at what I do. It's just the, the persona that I had built around me was just a fallacy. And so when you pursue something that is not who you're meant to be, it really mucks up your purpose. And I don't think we can define our purpose until we get back to who we're created to be. Wow, that's so powerful. I wonder if, as I'm, as I'm listening to you, if everybody just has to go through that. If that's a human, uh, choose your own adventure, that we all just have to go through our own, choose our own adventure to get to where you're talking about, or if there's things that we can think about that might help us be more intentional about what you're talking about to get there. Yeah, I think a lot of people have to go through it. And I think there's so many, I mean, I haven't talked to anybody yet who hasn't had a moment in time when a loved one or someone in their life put a thought or put a wound in their heart that they didn't have to really deal with and, and wrestle with. Um, I think, though, however, I don't know that you have to go to the lengths that I went and totally hit rock bottom to recover from that. And that's part of what has driven me in my coaching is I want to help people avoid 
the pain that I went through and the pain that I caused to others that I love dearly because of this running from shame for decades. And if you can face that false identity and face that shame, and I love, you know, you, you and I have talked about this, You're, you'd call it the saboteur, and I've named mine, his name is Luther, because to me that's just a like a big badass name, and now I recognize it. And I think if people can get ahead of that and recognize what I have, the story I've adopted about myself is fundamentally not true. And now that I can get back to who I'm created to be, then I can start to identify my purpose, align my gifts and talents, and understand from an opportunity perspective that anything's possible. That right there, I mean, I'm you, the way that you say that, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that, you know, it just, it, you know, if when people can get to that point where they say exactly what you just said, it, it, it sounds so easy, but it's not. Um, and, and I know that for you because your second book, um, The Un-American Dream, um, it, which I, I got to write the forward for. Uh, so thank you. I'm thank so, you, by the way. so, uh, amazingly, um, honored to be writing for this thing and how that came to be. Um, because of, you know, how we met and how we, we didn't meet that long ago, but it feels like we've known each other for 20 years, um, at least for me. And I, um, when you told me about your story and what you were writing about, and I mean, it goes so much deeper than what we've just talked about and what you were putting out into the world and how you could help people. And, um, I was like, wow. So um, how did that start? And give people a sense as to, because um, we haven't publicly talked about the book here, and I'd love to give people a chance to learn from that. Yeah, the book was uh, almost an autobiography in so many ways. And when I, what was amazing to me is when I put a post on LinkedIn that I was leaving the agency, you know, it was, it was very well received. People were so kind. A lot of comments, well wishes, you know, just, just like you would expect from any community. But what struck me almost like, a, oh my God, I'm not alone, was the calls and the texts and the emails I got from colleagues who said, could you spend some time talking me through how you did this? Because I'm miserable. And, or I'm in the same boat. I'm never seeing my family. I'm, I'm taking pride in my United 1K premier membership. Like, that's some big thing. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing that I used to do that. And, and it was, Brian, it just wasn't one or two messages. It was a lot. And I just started to think like, wow, this is crazy. So as I do, as part of my creative process, I just started to think through like, what would this look like if I started to write about some of this stuff. So I started to just write LinkedIn posts. And then I had a good friend of mine, James Carberry, who at a trade show said, man, brother, you got to write a book about this. And I was like, you're insane. There's no, you know, there's no market for this. And he's like, I'm telling you, put this in, in, in a book and write about your experience and write about that we've made work our God. We tie our identity to it. We tie our purpose to it. And it screws us every time. My words, not James. Um, and so that's what I did. And then I felt so compelled 
to share the other side of the story. <clears throat> Suzanne's side. And um, so I asked her to write a chapter on, uh, on the impact that my actions and my unhinged, uh, narcissistic, ego-driven pursuit of business success had on her. And, you know, for my money, it's the best chapter in the book. And what's been amazing is we together have spoken and been able to speak to groups um, to hear spouses say either to their spouse, this is what I've been trying to tell you, or the spouse who's in the unhinged pursuit that I was saying, yeah, my wife or my husband said, this is what we've been trying to communicate to you. And we really wrote it with the purposes, if we could impact one life, then all of it was worth it. And we've been very, very blessed to know that we've impacted more than one. And again, it's part of the, the drive that drives us now is if, if people can learn from my mistakes and experiences, then it's, it's not all for nothing. So it's, it's, it's beautiful because I, I totally align with everything that you're saying as someone who also had the 1K club. I was over on Delta. Um, I had uh, the agency. I had the, it, it's just too bad we didn't know each other back then. We could have been buddies along the whole ride. Um, and, uh, but your, your book goes so much deeper into, um, into uh, fidelity and relationships and, and, and almost crisis mode. And you went, you went, you went, you, you really became so transparent in that and you found your way through it all together um, and, and apart into what, what I'm seeing from the outside looking in as um, an absolutely not perfect, but beautiful life um, together. Um, what shifts do you attribute to those things coming together? Yeah. Um, boy, there's a lot. Uh, number one was I had to drop the facade and I had to realize instead of running from my pain, I had to embrace, walk into the middle of it and deal with it. Um, instead of running from my shame, I had to walk through it and realize that shame's never going to stop, but I can, I can be resilient to it. And I had to get to a place where for the first time at that point in uh, 44 years, I could look at myself in the mirror and say, I actually love the guy looking back at me. And it took me 40, actually 46 years to, to have that moment of, boy, I really like myself. And part of that was just shedding the false self and this persona <clears throat> that I created to hide all of my insecurities. And once, on, and the other part of that was forgiveness. You know, Suzanne had to come to a place where she could forgive me, forgive my infidelity, forgive putting my business first, forgive not being a really good husband for a number of years, not being a really good dad for a number of years. And so she had to go on her own journey towards that. And there was never a guarantee. And by the way, when I left the agency, we were separated at the time. I never did it in hopes to get her back. I had no idea. And what I had to learn was that at the end of the day, I'm 100% responsible for 50% 
of this marriage equation. And I couldn't control her. I'm a, I tell people all the time, I'm a recovering control freak. I like to have a plan and then another plan to back up that plan. And I had to let go. I had to start to learn how to hold things loosely. And so there was some intense work I had to do with, uh, I saw a therapist on a weekly basis. I did a lot of neurotherapy brain work to um, really kind of get my brain back to being healthy. Because for so many years, I'd carved these pathways that were unhealthy. And then it was, okay, are we going to make a second run at this? And what we did is we committed to, we didn't want to restore what was there because what was there was so dysfunctional. So what we chose to do is start a second marriage. And we tell people we are in our second marriage to the same but very different people. That is so cool. I, uh, I love that concept. That is such a yeah. great concept. There was a, and Suzanne would know the name of the therapist who said, who talked, gave a TEDx and said, most people will have more than one marriage. And for a lot of them, it'll be to the same person. And so, and it is true. And I can tell you, um, and you've heard me say this, Brian, in our conversations one-on-one, everything's redeemable. If you had told me five years ago that I'd be here with my wife in an RV, traveling around the country, doing our thing, um, truly best friends. I said to her today, I said, do you realize we have been together every day for six months straight? And I said, and we we're having a ball. And it didn't happen overnight. There was a lot of things that we had to address and undo and uncover but it all started with, I got to get back to who I was created to be. And one of the things I do to remind me of that, I keep a picture of myself when I was seven years old in my office. Because I think at the end of the day, we're all still that little kid that wants to be heard and seen and recognized and loved. Amen. Amen. You know, I want to, um, there's so many different places that we could go. But the one thing I do, I want to make sure that we talk about and cover is where, where you're at now how all of this has informed where where you are um you sold your house uh you both uh shipped shipped off all all the kids to college and work and they're they're all doing you know well and you're you both sold your house in colorado colorado bought a fifth wheel and are now in what as we're recording this you're in north carolina just came from what tennessee i think yeah how do you, most people look at that and they're like, yes, please. How do we do that? And, uh, and, and how does that transition into life design where you're at? How, how you're, how, how are you working through life design in your own life and how can others apply it? Yeah. And I would say this is an outcome of life design. So about two and a half years ago, well, I, I know it was before COVID. We just started talking like, Hey, Luke's going to college. Why do we need 3,700 square feet? Beautiful neighborhood, but we were already living in about 800 square feet of it, an entire finished basement with two bedrooms, a full bath that we just never went into, but still needed to be cleaned. And we just started talking about everything under the sun. And it started with, hey, you know, maybe we should RV or maybe we should go live in Europe for a year and just country hop and work there. And I've got some contacts. I think we could do that. Um, I do a lot of speaking. So, you know, that. Who, who cares where you're at? You can fly in, fly out. Then COVID hit and it was, you know, okay, well, maybe we just go and 
up around the country and Airbnb in a different city every 30 days. And what we did with life design is, is we first started with alignment around what do we want out of our lives individually, because there are things Suzanne's interested in that I'm not necessarily, but I, I, I can support her in those. And then what, what do we want collectively as a couple? And we, once we had that alignment, we started to put in place some agreements of what are we willing to do to get what we want? And like somebody said to me the other day, they said, it's like you're retired, but you're not retired. I said, exactly. Why should I wait to have the things that I want now? And so once we had that agreement in place, we just started to make a plan. And we knew fundamentally, we're going to sell the house. When Luke gets firmly planted in college, wherever he goes, we're going to sell the house. We talked to all the kids. They were like, yeah, go ahead, sell it. Why do you need to keep it? And we started to just build a plan. And then very quickly, because of the pandemic and everything, it became apparent of, you know, travel's going to be a little tight and tough. So let's buy the RV. And if we hate it, as Suzanne says, what's the worst that could happen? If we hate it, we sell it and go buy another house. That's the very worst thing that could happen. And so we've been doing this and we continue to talk about what does life design look like? What do we want? And are we still aligned in the things we want? Because sometimes those change with experience. And so we just keep talking about it. And life design is not a destination. It's a journey. But I, I don't believe you can get there until you reconcile who are you at your core, who is your partner if you have one at their core, and then how do you two become interdependent to give each other the best life possible and you can become the best partner possible and then go out and get it. So what is the one thing that um, will help somebody get, just do the very first step? I think what you should do is get a pad and paper and write down those things that you really value. I mean, like th these are mountains you're willing to die on. And I'm not talking about, oh, I value my car. You might like your car. You don't value your car. You're not going to put your life at risk to get to save a car. I'm talking about things like I value freedom, independence. Um, I value security and and be careful because security is not wrapped up in monetary things. Um, I value intimacy in my relationships. Um, and I think you'd be surprised at how few you actually pen, put, put, put down on paper. Because I think there, there are very few things that were like, these are mountains I'm willing to die on. Once you understand that, then start to say, am I, and take a real honest assessment, am I living these out? So that's step number two. But a first step, just write them down. And I will tell you, Brian, every client I have, when I ask them that question, have you ever done that? The answer is no. Well, I think everybody has some work to do. I think uh, <laughs> if there aren't notepads being brought out right now, um, then, uh, you know, Carlos is going to come to your house uh, I'll do it with you. And so I'll do it with you. It's part of some, sometimes I do it right there with them yeah. in a session and we just start writing it out. And then when they put something down, it seems frivolous. I'll say, is that something you, is that? And they're like, yeah, you know, you're right. I, I don't really value my house. I like my house, but I don't really value you like what your house affords you potentially. And you may not even like that. You may just be there because that's what you think you should be doing. So uh, let's, I could talk to you all day, but um, 
unfortunately, we 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 want to make sure that this is uh, in containment for other others to listen to. So I do want to close this out with um, with something that helps. Uh, well, all of us understand what um, what is an outcome of life design. What what is a, a way that you know people can easily understand that if I do this, this is what's going to happen for me. Well, I'm going to say more than one because I have seen multiple. Um, qualitatively, my relationships have never been better. I have an unbelievable marriage. Not perfect by any, any stretch because no marriage is perfect, but it's, it, it's unbelievable. And, and I'm, I'm grateful. Um, quantitatively, I work 30% less than I used to on a given week. Um, juxtaposed to that, I make 33% more than I ever made. And I never started with, hey, let's go make more money. I actually was like, I don't care. I'm going to live purpose over profit. And it just happened to be that way. So 30% less, 33% more, even with the pandemic. In the last two years, we have seen, I think now, 13 different states. We've been to five different countries. Um, we have seen seven national parks. And I've seen things doing the RV gig for six months that I would have never seen before. And we're having a ball. And if you can quantify fun, I would say it's a thousand percent increase. Oh, and I know your clients uh, get the same kinds of impacts and results as well as, as uh, you get for yourself. And um, I can't, um, I can't even uh, say enough about the things that I see coming out of what you're doing. And I applaud you and, and your journey and everything that you've done to get, get here to help others as well to, you know, design everything that they deserve. Um, what, uh, any last final words that you want to leave everybody with? Yeah, I would just say if you're, if you're there and this resonates with you and you hear that voice going, yeah, but what if? That's the voice of fear and shame. You're never going to outrun those. Fear will always be there. The doubt will always be there. You're not going to reach the mountaintop overnight. Just take one small step. One small step and know that I'm in your corner while you do it. Where can everybody find you? Yeah, you can email me at carlos at carlosandsuzanne.com. That's S-U-S-A-N-N-E.com. You can go to our website, carlosandsuzanne.com. Find me on LinkedIn, H-I-D-A-L-G-O, or on Twitter, at C-A Hidalgo. Great. We'll link to all that too in the show notes. So it'll be real easy to find you. And for everybody listening, thank you so much for joining us today. And Carlos, thank you. Really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. Thank you. Love you, man. Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe. We love having subscribers just like you. Download a few more episodes. And if you feel moved, we would so appreciate a review. I'd love to also hear your key takeaway. What impacted you from this episode? You can tweet me your answer and reach out on Twitter at Brian Kramer. That's Brian with a Y, Kramer with a K. And definitely be sure to join us in our Facebook group. We have just under 3,000 humans just like you and me looking to connect even more imperfectly 
Until next time.